0: I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to to get into week two of Grace and Truth. I feel like Brian set the bar. I did not know you were behind me though. Legit. Like legit. Y'all, Brian set the bar pretty high last week, right? He did. Mainly because he talked about Fortnite and I don't even know what that game is. I got a friend fight though and I've played it twice. I got 99th place. That's pretty good, right? Thank you. Man, we're excited to be in week two of grace and truth. This series is, is, is near to my heart because we live in a time where culture is telling us that it's an either or. You either have grace and you love people well, you embrace society, you bring people in, or religion says there's truth. The Bible says this. The Bible says this. You must do this, right? There's this either or of what grace and truth is and culture is shifting. That compromise is now the king. We can't have both. We have to pick one and, and I'll be honest, man, Some of it's difficult. It's hard to have conversations with grace and truth. Those of you that know me uh, and walk closely in my life, you know that the truth is easy for me. I'm very direct and blunt, and things come out harsh. There's not a lot of grace in some of the things I say. You maybe can tell even in my preaching, I kind of am yelly. This truthy is in me, but the the grace is a little harder sometimes. But it's not an either-or culture. Daniel, as we're looking through, Daniel had both. He lived in a time where there was being questioned of what he believed, and he stood firm in that, but he also had grace with how he talked to people. He didn't argue and fight back. He kind of embraced it with this loving desire. A pastor said it this way. He said, we'll either set the culture or we'll reflect the cor- culture. It's hard to speak. We'll either set the culture or reflect the culture. And I think if we take an observation of our lives, we would agree we sit on one side or the other. For a long time, I only reflected the culture, and even still, that's my natural tendency because it's easy, but we can set the culture, and so we have that choice. Uh, It's like a, I heard this this Boudreaux joke. You guys want to hear my joke? No, okay. Jeremiah didn't laugh at it either. All right it's about a thermos. You know what a thermos is? You know a thermos, it keeps the hot, hot, and the cold, cold. I won't use the accent, Jeremiah said that was the problem. Okay, you know what a thermos is? All right, it keeps the hot, hot, and the cold, cold. Well, there's this guy from Louisiana, his name was Boudreaux, and he asked, he said, how does it know? Well, the high, it keeps the hot, hot, and the cold, cold. It just knows, and his buddy goes, are you sure? He said, yeah, the thermos knows. He said, so what do you have in there? He said, I got soup and two popsicles. Jeremiah didn't work. You were right. The dumbest joke didn't work. It's funny, okay? It's either or. It's either hot or cold, but that's not what we are in society. We get to do something different. So why am I here? This week, the title of the series is all about me. They thought I was appropriate to preach this one. It's all about me. We live in a time where things kind of revolve around me. Everything is based about me. And honestly, guys, like that, it's it's true. It's, it's what happens in my world. On my, on my off days, I want to do what I want to do. My wife and my children—they love the zoo. Does anybody else love the zoo? Babe, you can take all these people next week. They want to go to the zoo all the time. You know how much I want to go to the zoo? Once a year—that's enough. That's enough. I don't need to see the same panda three times. The rhinos are still there. I don't want to go. I'm just kind of selfish. I know it. I know it. I don't want to go to the zoo over and over. I want to do what I want to do. And I'm betting you guys know what I'm talking about. You'd rather do what you want to do than what someone else tells you to do. You probably feel that way when your mom wants you to clean the room or when it's time to go to bed. you guys have bedtime still? Is that a thing? A couple of you guys. Okay. You would rather do what you want to do. And that's, it's confusing. Honestly, sometimes it's confusing of of whether or not doing what I want is okay. There's this mass confusion that happens. And so this all about me culture, we're going to kind of zoom in on this idea of confusion. This idea that the devil has created confusion from the beginning. The devil has created this confusion that the world is about you. We're going to see that in different places in Scripture, but it's the current culture we live in. If you don't believe me, the number one picture we take is the? Selfie. Boom. And you guys make that duck face, though? If you make the duck face, we're going to unfollow you. No, I'm just kidding. We won't. But the culture says it's about me, so I'm going to take a selfie because that's what's important. And the devil has been telling people this for a long time, since the very beginning of time. He's been saying that it's right. It's all about you. What you want is important, and this confusion that the devil is spewing is everywhere. And so Jesus knew this. Jesus saw this. He was a part of this. He lived in the world. Even the devil tried to tell Jesus it was about him. At one point, Jesus was tempted by the devil, and he stood on the edge of this mountain. He said, jump. The angels will catch you. You're important. He wanted Jesus to even get this idea that it was only about him. And right before Jesus would die on the cross, he prayed in the garden for a lot of things. But one of the things he prayed for was you and me. And this is what he said in John seventeen fifteen. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. You see, Jesus knew that we needed to be here. Even though your life might kind of feel like crap, he knew you needed to be here. And his concern wasn't to pull us from the world. He wanted us in it. His concern was the evil one that was in the world with us. His concern was the evil one that bothered him was going to bother you. Don't believe me? Man, let's just look in Scripture just a little bit because the devil has been spinning these lies for a long time. Genesis 3. The first time... Yeah, I'm squeaky. The first time... (laughs) It's all right, we're gonna keep going. The first time the devil ever spoke, you know what he said? A lie. He, he told Eve. He said, did God really tell you that? You're you're just as important as God. The first thing he did was try to convince her that she was just as important as God. He was spinning a lie that she was more important from the very beginning. And some of you guys hear these lies every single day, that you are the only one that matters, that your life is the most important, that what happens to you is all that matters. We flip to the middle of the Bible, Isaiah 47, verse 8 through 10. Sorry, let me jump back a little bit. Back into Genesis. Genesis, a few chapters later, Genesis 11, the devil comes back and, and we see them, they're building this tower, the tower of Babel, where we later get the word Babylon, where Daniel is at. And, and, and they're building this tower to represent how great they are above everyone else, how important they are above the people around them. And this word Babel literally means confusion. Babylon comes from this word of confusion because he was creating confusion. So later in Isaiah, here we go Isaiah 47, right in the middle of the Bible, we see Isaiah, this prophet, talking to the people of Babylon and he quotes them saying, the folks in Babylon, they say, I am, and there was no one like me. See, Babylon was convinced they were the most important. We'll get into that in a bit, but they were convinced that they were the most important at the very end, the last book of the Bible. Revelation, we see it again. It's talking about Babylon, the city of confusion. It calls it the city of great mystery, the mother of prostitutes and abominations. You see, the devil's been spinning this web of confusion from the very beginning, and he'll spin it to the very end. And it affects us all. It's this deranged mass confusion. You wonder why we see chaos and pain in the world? It's the devil, he's lying, he's creating this selfish confusion. Man, we just saw a few weeks ago this mass shooting in a school. Man, you know where that comes from? This deranged mass confusion that the devil is spinning a world of lies. And we see people that we love people that we know commit suicide. We don't understand, and the devil's spinning this lie of confusion. We see our parents get divorced, and and, and there's this confusion that it's all about me. It's not about each other. It's about me. This confusion just seems to be everywhere. It's a deranged idea that that I am the best, that I am important. And, And last week, Brian talked about Daniel and how we relate to Daniel, how Daniel had friends, ate food. That things like that, right? We're like Daniel, but today we're gonna talk about Nebuchadnezzar, this evil king. And I think that honestly, I might relate to Nebuchadnezzar better than Daniel. You see, because Nebuchadnezzar had this, this ego to him, he had this dream that he was somehow better than everyone else. He wanted what was best for himself. Daniel, he wanted what's best for everyone else. He wanted what God wanted for his life. Nebuchadnezzar was selfish, and honestly, I relate a little more to the selfish side. Even with Jesus, like I still tend to to care a little more about myself. And so we're going to look at what's happening in Daniel 2 and how we relate to Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to summarize. There's a lot of verses there. At the beginning of Daniel 2, we see that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And he wants to understand his dream, so he sends out word. He said, I need a wise man to come and interpret my dream for me. He said, send out the word and have one of the wise men come back, which Daniel and his friends were part of this group. And he said, but here's the deal. I need you to interpret my dream, but I'm not going to tell you my dream. You tell me my dream and the interpretation. So he sends out this word and the wise men come. They're like, bro, you're nuts. How are we supposed to know your dream? No one can do this. He asked wise man after wise man after wise man after wise man. They all continue to say the same thing. Dude, we can't do it. You know what the problem was? He never asked a wise woman. But for real, he probably should have asked a woman. But also, they they didn't know God. All these men he asked, they didn't know God. So Nebuchadnezzar gets pissed, and he's like, you know what? Kill them all. Kill them all. So the guards actually go to kill all the wise men, including Daniel. And Daniel stops. He goes, hey, man, I, I I can help you. I know his dream. So Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar, and he begins to tell him his dream. Not only interpret it. But tell him what his dream was. See, Daniel had prayed and asked God for guidance, and that's where we're going to pick up in Scripture. We're going to start in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. This is Daniel interpreting the dream. He says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image was mighty and exceeding brightness. It stood before you, and it appears was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. We're going to stop there for just a second. Man, the first thing I want to point out to you about this this statue is that its feet were built of clay. Man, our foundations will fail us. The first part of this dream is talking about this idea that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream for himself. He wants to be somebody important. He wants to have great value. You you may think you don't relate to that. How many of you, when you grow up, want to be poor? Okay, two of you guys. They're sixth graders. It's okay. How many of you guys want to grow up and have like a middle management job at Dairy Queen? There's nothing wrong with this, okay? I'm poor, I worked at a restaurant for a long time. But none of us dream of that. We all dream of being rich. We all dream of being important. We all dream of driving nice cars, having nice things, living in nice houses. Like, we have these dreams for ourselves. That's okay. I got dreams. I dream a lot. I get on Zillow, I've been looking at houses all the time. I'm like, babe, look at this one. It's like $8 million. I still dream, I want to be something big someday. I want to do important things. And that's where I think we relate to Nebuchadnezzar, because we all want to do something great with our lives. But depending on what those dreams are, man, our foundation matters. You see that the, the center of Babylon, the center of this confusion is this dream. This dream where the king has, where he wants to build a statue to show everyone his worth. He wants to show everyone his importance. But it's built on a weak foundation. And we all have these hopes and dreams but what are they built on? We all want to have worth and value and importance, but what are they built on? If it's clay foundations, man, they're going to fail. Is it what we do or is it what we are in Christ? Because you see, if, you're, if your value is built on money, if your statue is money, the market is flipping terrifying because it's going to fail you. If your money, if your hope is built on your social media presence, at some point you're gonna lose some followers and you're gonna crumble, right? If your hope is built on your looks, guess what? Someday the mirror is gonna terrify you because you ain't always gonna look this way. Some of you are like, uh huh, I am too. No, you ain't. At some point, it's gonna fail you and be terrifying if people. Or what your statue is and all your hope is in, guess what? Someday they're going to let you down. They're going to say the wrong thing. They're going to talk to the wrong people. At some point, they're going to let you down. And some of you know what I'm talking about because the people you used to be friends with are sitting over here and you're sitting over here. You don't even talk to each other anymore because people will let you down. Maybe it's your relationship. Man, relationships get hard and they end or they don't make sense. Man, at some point your statue, if it's built in this world, its clay foundations will fail you. Our foundations will fail us if they're built on this clay. Let's keep reading Daniel 2:34. Let's pick up. It says, "As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces, and a piece of them could be found." Guys, this is my second point. See, the, the second point starts with this stone, this very invaluable thing. This thing is not important, right? The statue is built of gold, silver, iron, bronze, clay. Like all these things have a little more value than rocks. Would you all agree? Is gold more important than rocks? Some of you are unsure. Yes. The answer is yes. Gold is more important than rocks. And we see this rock is what takes down this massive statue. See, because God will use the invaluable. Some of you right now think you don't have value. Let me tell you, that's who God wants to use the, will use the most. We see it all throughout Scripture time and time again that God wants to use the invaluable. In this dream, we see that the foundation was crushed by a rock, This massive idea of who Nebuchadnezzar was was totally destroyed by a worthless rock. And isn't it interesting that God chooses to use the most invaluable thing? There's like rocks are everywhere. Rocks aren't important. Nobody really cares about rocks until you're running through the summer and the grass and step on a rock and it hurts like crap. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. That's when you care about rock. Besides that, no one cares about a rock. No one wants rocks. They're not worth anything. But God wants to use the least of these. Stay with me. Bring it in. We got like eight minutes left. God wants to use this invaluable thing. God wants to use something that seems so unimportant to society because all these other things people bought with, traded with, traded for, but not rocks. But in Scripture, we see a lot of them. David killed Goliath with a rock. David killed Goliath with a rock. Yeah. Jesus looked at Peter. He said, On this, I will build my church. And let me tell you, David and Peter, they weren't valuable people. (laughs) David made bad decisions. He did the wrong thing. He was a little dude from nowhere killing a giant with a rock because God wanted to use something invaluable. Peter, Peter betrayed Jesus over and over and over. He didn't have it together. He didn't believe he was who he was for several years, and he was with them. But God said, on this rock, I will build my church and all this takes time, man. None of these things just happen instantly. All of it starts with small but grows to something different. God wants to use the invaluable and take time and move it into something different. Let's finish this last verse. It says, But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And my last point I want you to hear is that the kingdom is slow growing. See, because some of you feel invaluable right now and you're pursuing Jesus. You want to do something important. You want to serve God with your life and and make these right decisions, but it just doesn't seem like it's happening. But yet we sing songs like the cross has the final word, and and I stand up here and yell, yeah, your life is different. And you're thinking, yeah, if the cross had the final word, then why am I who I am? Here's why. Because there's something about the kingdom that's slow growing. Or how about this way? The kingdom of God is already but not yet. That doesn't make a lot of sense, but there's an alreadyness to the kingdom of God, but there's a not yetness to the kingdom of God. There's a a certainty that Jesus has done it all, but there's this flexibility that things just don't always go the way we want them to. They're, They're not quite there yet. And one of the greatest ways we see this is that the Bible says that we are all sinners, that we all do wrong. There's a not yetness to our nature. If you have a relationship with Jesus, man, you are forever in his hands, that God will forever hold you and care for you, and nothing and no one can ever remove you from that. There's a already, you are already 100% in God, but there's this not yetness left, this sin that just comes up, this pain, this problem that's always kind of around. There's an there's a already, but a not yet. So what I want you to hear me say is that you might feel invaluable, but God is moving. See, this stone didn't become a mountain the second it happened. It said it took time, and the image became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. And that's what some of you are experiencing in your life right now. You made a decision to follow Jesus, but you still don't feel very valuable. Man, keep at it. The kingdom is slow growing. It's already, but it's not quite there yet. So as you draw closer to God and want to be used as a valuable rock, like I don't know about you, but when I look at David in the Bible or Peter, I'd love to be that rock. I'm like, I'll take that. I'll do that. I wish that's what I was doing. Now I just want to encourage you to be patient and keep pursuing what God is doing in your life. But here's the summary of it all, is that you will stand and have value not by what you do, but what Jesus did. All these things, they're all worthless without what Jesus did. What Daniel stood on that was stronger than clay was what God was, what God was telling him, what God was calling him to do, and he believed it because, see, he knew that everything about him was from God. So as we wrap up here, I'm going to invite the band back up with me. We're going to close this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says this. It says, What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great and as though you have accomplished something on your own? Guys, I had to, as I wrote that verse, had to question myself a little bit. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? I normally stand up front of worship, uh, but today I actually stood back there because there's a sign on the wall. It says, you've been chosen to be on the stage. God wants you to be on the stage. It's not about what I get to do. I don't know why I'm here, but God is allowing me to do something different. And honestly, it's easy to lose sight of that sometimes and think that I have done something well, that I have done something right, but we've not. Everything we have is from God. And some of you are like, no, no, I'm a great athlete. I earn that myself. I work out. I practice. No, you don't. You know where it's from, God. You were born into the right family, in the right place, with enough money so you could go to a school where you could even play sports. What happens if your same abilities aren't where you are now? God planned what you have. And some of you think, no, no, I work hard to be in great shape. Once again, God puts you where you are So you can be doing what you're doing or maybe you boast in your grades but God planned your life with parents who would invest in you or had enough money to send you to tutors or you live in the county we live in with the nicest schools in the country you ever think about that that God puts you where you are you're doing something but God is credit of it all you see because a rock is worthless until the creator chooses to do something with it. Don't none of us want a rock. If you do, there's a bunch of them outside. There's a bunch of my friends going, Go find a rock, but nobody wants one until the creator decides to do something great with it. And then that rock placed in the hand of David who God called upon his life and said, you have value. It's now worth something. That rock that which God built his church on Peter's back was worthless. He betrayed God. He didn't believe in God, but God said, I'm going to use you to do something else see what he had wasn't his own what they did wasn't from them it was from God and that's what we can be if we will simply humble ourselves and realize that what we are is a simple rock and on our own all we do is piss people off in the summer when they step on us we ain't gonna do nothing good by ourselves James four ten says this it says humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you see, if we're willing to lay down everything we think we are, if we're willing to to actually admit that God has done everything and we have done nothing, I don't care what you think you've earned on your own, you haven't. God put you where you are and gave you what you have with no credit to you. But it says when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will exalt you You see the difference in Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar? You know what it was is that Daniel believed that God was in charge. He believed that God put him where he was. And you know how he knew that? Because he began on his face. A man or woman on their face will never fall. Right, if we will humble ourselves and realize that God has done everything and we have done nothing, he will begin to move like you couldn't imagine. A pastor said it this way. He said, standing up, up in our culture standing up for our faith standing up for our friends we'll start face down the constant thing in Daniel's life is that he prayed a lot and that he believed that God was who he said he was because just me standing here is pretty worthless you might as well go home watch more Netflix because I ain't got nothing good for you but you know what I believe that is great is that God is who he said he was. He did what he said he did. So we're going to sing one more song. And this song is this, this anthem, and I love it so much. There's so much truth in it. It says, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Man, and that's the difference. Daniel believed these things. And so I want to give you guys a chance to just declare what you believe. If you don't, that's okay. You can belong here. You ain't got to sing a song. You can just come be a part of it. We would love that. But if you believe this, I mean really believe it, I challenge you. See, y'all stand with me. We're going to sing this song, you see, because on our own we're a rock. But when we believe in something different, when we turn our attention to somebody different, that all live in America and step into a church i be on a-